And uh, we've got certain people with different colours and we talked about a couple of things last week. Let me just show you uh, some of the stuff we talked about. Uh, we talked about the fact that some people were like Tigger, some people were oranges. Give us a wave if you're an orange. Okay, the oranges. And the oranges are like, like the spontaneous, crazy, fun-loving people. And then we talked about the blues. Who was a blue? And the blue, yeah, they're very quiet. And the blues were all the kind of feeling, touchy, kind of like the feeling person. And then we talked about the responsible people, the golds. Who were the golds? Put your hand up for gold. See, more people put the hand up there because golds like to hear and they like to do the right thing. So if somebody says do this, usually a gold will do it because they're the responsible kind of child. And then we talked about the greens. Who's a green? We hand up. We have less greens, which is interesting. We always have less greens. Now, before we start, can you guess what colour I am? Okay, let's let's take a vote. Okay, who thinks I'm an orange? One person, John. Uh, okay, pomegranate. <laughs> who thinks who thinks I'm a blue? Why not? Why would I not be a feeling, caring kind of? Who thinks I'm a gold responsible? Unbelievable. Who thinks I'm green? Yeah. Everybody. Oh, well, actually, I am green. So that's true. Absolutely true. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about this idea of um, the problem that I see and uh, one of the troubles I have when I'm sharing my faith. And it's this. And I talk about this idea of a line that sometimes we live our, our lives on a little bit of a line between extremes. And on one extreme is this idea of... Um, almost I'll be honest kind of feeling a sense of guilt if I don't get somebody saved using that Christian kind of expression I kind of feel a guilt on one extreme of you know I meet somebody on a plane and I've got two hours with them and if I've not talked to them about God by the end of the trip I feel really bad and if they're not saved I feel terrible and then this kind of idea that you know I've got to try and convince people everybody they must be a Christian and I've got this amount of time and it's a kind of a presentation and if my words are good enough and if I present it correctly and if I'm holy enough then people will always get saved that's one extreme and some people would say well that's like conquest that's like try to conquer people and force your opinion on people and then others talk about this other extreme where they say things well really we we shouldn't push our views on other people and and we shouldn't force people to believe what we believe and then people uh, will often use uh, the words of St. Augustine you know St. Augustine said uh, preach the gospel always if necessary use words well, this is the same guy who thought he could talk to animals. So I don't know if you know about St. Augustine, but he thought he could talk to wolves and bears and animals. So he basically said, and this probably been a little bit unfair, but he basically said, look, you don't have to use words to share the gospel. But if you see the odd squirrel, have a really good chat with him about the meaning of life, you know? So in my mind, what, what is, it? is it? Is it this, uh, you know, where, where am I supposed to be? Am I supposed to convince everybody about being a Christian? Am I supposed to force people? Or am I supposed to like, just not really talk to people and just let them be who they're supposed to be and, and me be who I'm supposed to be? You know, and, and what's going on? Who, who, what should I do with these people? So let's turn our Bibles to uh, John. We're going to read from John. So we're going to read from Luke 9, sorry, about something John said to Jesus. So Luke 9, I just want to read two verses to you that are going to sound familiar, but you probably might not have heard a message on them. You've heard a message on the opposite. So this is what it says in uh, Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 49. John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. But Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. Anyone who's not against you is for you. Now the message I've usually heard is the other time when Jesus said, if they're not for me, they're against me. Who's heard a message like that? If they're not for me, they're against me. Um, but rarely do we hear this side where Jesus says, if they're not against you, they're for you. Now one of the differences, one of the cases is talking about himself. If they're not for me, they're against me. But in this situation, he's talking about you. And he's saying if they're not for if they're not against you they're for you and we usually have issues don't we 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 don't we, i think one of the biggest problems we have is sometimes deep down somewhere there's a kind of lemon us kind of mentality going on 
a kind of lem and us. There's us, and then there's lem. And sometimes we, we approach, and this is what we're talking about t- today, is how we approach people. We approach people, maybe it's just me, I don't want to put this on you, but I've noticed this, is sometimes we're approaching people, and even though we might care about them, there's kind of a lemonus still going on. And uh, sometimes we've decided in advance they probably won't want to listen to what we say. They're probably going to be against us. And what we really mean by against us is they're not really part of us they're not in our club they're not in our gang is that what Jesus was really talking about what did Jesus really mean when he said I want you to go into all the world and realize if they're not against you that they are for you see one of the things with the true colors is we have to treat people differently from the way the world treats people now um, I said I'm going to go through these next two weeks showing you different things about the colors and this is the scariest one this is what they say you probably think about yourself but what secretly other people think about you okay so if you're a blue you're gonna struggle for the next five minutes okay (laughs) here we go here we go so this is what they say now if you don't know what your color is yet then um, come and see me afterwards and we'll try and help you uh, find out what color only takes five minutes but here we go Uh, oranges are the spontaneous child and oranges probably think about themselves maybe quite rightly they are fun loving enjoy life flexible adaptable carefree proficient capable practical problem solver negotiator can deal with chaos curious and see shades of gray but other people might think about them that they are irresponsible wishy-washy not serious disobey rules manipulative not able to stay on task scattered cluttered uncontrollable and only spend time at things they enjoy okay (laughs) now here's the deal here's the deal the deal is who knows which one's the lemma true it might be that that's just really unkind of people it might be they have a point who knows this is not saying you are one of these two things this is just simply saying this is how you probably see yourself whereas other people probably see you this way you might see yourself as fun loving they may see you as irresponsible what about the blues okay close your ears blues Uh, uh, you may see yourself as compassionate trusting relational a people person works for a cause unselfish promotes harmony empathetic sympathetic affirming caretaker creative romantic warm and caring but other people might think this you're mushy you obscure the issues you're groveling which is a bit unkind so flaky unrealistic naive easily duped touchy-feely illogical just pathetic (laughs) slick ignores policy manipulative tricky tricky what about goals blues did you struggle with that no okay okay goals the responsible child see themselves as stable providing security dependable firm efficient realistic executive type good planner orderly neat punctual checklist I finish what I start okay other people might think this controlling dull boring pig-headed system-bound unimaginative judgmental bossy controlling uptight sets own agenda predictable ends justify the means only some of them okay what about greens greens see themselves as who are the greens just so I know who my brothers and sisters are in this okay I mean okay superior intellect 98% right tough-minded efficient creative visionary original unique calm analytical objective 
goal focus, seeking justice, values, competency. So greens like me, that's my how might be how we see ourselves. Now there was another part to this, but I lost it earlier. So we're just gonna move on and we're gonna Okay. Others may see us wrongly as <laughs> arrogant, heartless, unrealistic, eccentric, weird. I would agree with that one. Not on my side, nasty hatchet man. I used to have somebody who worked for me who addressed me as Paul Nasty Hatchet Man Gibbs. That was their name for me. Emotionally controlled, ignores people's values, aloof, critical, non-relational, I know that means aspects, or oh, they have non-relational aspects and unappreciative. Wow. Wow. So if you don't know your colour, I know some of this won't quite mean so much to you right now, but here's the point. We are see ourselves as one way, other people may see us a completely different way. Now last week we talked about this idea of not being defined by our colour, but being defined by our, anybody remember? Character. Yeah, and I think as well, we need to think about this when we think about other people. So imagine people at work. Imagine those people at work that are difficult. Imagine those people at work that are a little bit awkward. Imagine those people at work that everybody else looks down on. If you see them according to your colour, like everybody else may do, rather than our character, our Christ character that God has given us, if we see people through the filter of colour as opposed to the filter of character, then why should they listen to us? If we treat people the exact same way as everybody else may treat them, and I might be being unfair on other people, then why would they want to listen to us in the first place. I think one of the things we've got to realise is that we need to make sure the way we see people is more based on these things. But the fruit of the Spirit, His character is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now that's kind of basic isn't it? We all know we're supposed to be kind and gentle on those things. So what I want to do today is I want to look at three things we could think about in our approach. In the way we go into the workplace or in our community, in our neighbourhood. What is our approach to other people? What is our job as a Christian? Is it to conquer people and force people to believe what we believe? Is it just to be nice and just let them get on with it? What is our approach? What is your approach? Just think about that for a moment. Now, the reason I've given the sticky, uh, uh, sticky notes is this, is that one of the things that we do often in church is, is the good ones amongst us, is we, uh, we write notes, don't we, some of us? We write notes because we know we've got things to learn. Sometimes we don't, either because we weren't trained to do that in church, or we were, but we just don't think there's much we can learn anymore. But most of us, we write notes because we know we need to take note. Now, whether you do it on your iPhone, your iPad, or a piece of paper, it makes no difference. Here's what I'd like you to do today. Don't write notes. What I'd like you to do is don't write notes. I'd like you instead to write one to-do thing because of what's said this morning. One to-do thing. And this is so you can stick it on your fridge or somebody's forehead, okay? So you can be reminded of the to-do thing. Because the fact of us is even though we write lots of notes, most of those notes, many of us never look at again. I've got journals of notes of sermons on my shelf and I've never looked at them more than twice, which is sad, I know. But I'd like you to just have one thing, one thing that sticks, one thing that you pick up today, you can put on your little sticky note and you can stick it to something and you can remember this week. And it could be a different thing for a different person to you. Uh, to you. Let me just say this. Our character is more important than our colour. And one of the things about colours we have to be careful is just because you're a certain colour doesn't actually mean that much. So just because you're an orange and you love fun doesn't mean you're automatically funny. Now Rob is probably the funniest man I know on the planet, okay? But just because you are just because you are uh, orange means you like fun, but you might not be funny. Therefore, if you're blue, you like to feel it doesn't mean you're more caring than anybody else. It just means 
you you like to feel and you're probably quite good at understanding other people's feelings so if you want to be caring you've probably got a little bit of a superpower in order to do that if you're gold you're you may feel responsible it doesn't make you competent faithfulness makes you competent um, some of these things make you competent. Self-control makes you competent. If you're green, it doesn't mean you're intelligent, it just means you like to think. <laughs> it's true. It just means you like to think. Now, 98% of us are intelligent, okay? Which I think is how I read that sheet before, okay? Uh, so what I'm saying is, I want us always to remember this, that character is more important than colour. So our colour just helps us because we're made and shaped a certain way with a propensity, if you like, with a gift maybe to be a certain thing. But what I can't give you, and maybe because I don't have enough of it, but what the only thing God can give you is a love for people. So these three things I'm going to share with you are things I've learned, usually through mistakes I've made, and things I've seen other people do well in the way that we... Um, share our faith. So the first question is this as we approach people, what is our role when it comes to evangelism? Well for some of us we need to think well what is the role of the church? If we have a big picture it might help us with our next door neighbour. So when we think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is God's dream. In other words the kingdom of God is God's rule, reign, royalty or realm. The kingdom of God if you like is, is how things happen in heaven. So when Jesus says pray you know may your kingdom come to earth in the same way things are in heaven that's what Jesus is praying but when we look at the kingdom sometimes there are a little way different ways we can look at it so for instance um, sometimes when we think about our role we can look at it this way we can think well you've got the church now and then one day there'll be the kingdom so right now we're in church this is like God's kingdom this is the church and then one day later on will end up in the kingdom but that would be a mistaken idea because the kingdom is to come but the kingdom is here right now as well so it can't be as simple as here's church and then one day there's going to be the kingdom and this is going to be important in a minute for how we think about how we're supposed to share our faith another mistaken idea is probably this that the church is the kingdom that everything the church does is the kingdom of God and everything of the kingdom of God is involved in church I want to suggest a different picture to help you and this really helps me understand my role on my streets or my role when I was working at the co-op in Manchester or my role in a school and it's this the church is part of the kingdom the best way you could describe this as somebody once wrote is the church is a catalyst for the kingdom the kingdom of God is here the kingdom of God is coming the kingdom of God is within us the kingdom of God is around us and the church's job is to be a catalyst to speed that up if you like to be a change agent for the kingdom of God but the kingdom of God is bigger than the church isn't it and if you look at this diagram there are some things in the church that aren't really probably part of the kingdom of God. That's probably true to say as well, isn't it? But the vast majority of what we're doing, really, what we're about is we're about seeing what God is doing and trying to help play our part in moving that along. We're change agents, if you like, for the kingdom of God as the kingdom of God affects and shapes our world. Now, for me, that really helps me because that helps me understand a little bit about my, what my role is for my life. You see, for me, when I talk to somebody about Jesus, I realize what I'm supposed to be is a catalyst. I'm supposed to look for what God is already doing in that person and help them see that themselves my role is is not necessarily at this moment in time to get them from A to B necessarily or A to C my role is to find out what is God doing in that person and what is my role to speed that up what, what is my way of helping that along so sometimes I may feel you know years ago felt really guilty because wow I talked to this person for an hour about the kingdom of God and Jesus and they never became a Christian if I was only holier but then I read words that in the word that says you know one person plants and one person waters but we're all to play that part 
I don't think any of us who know anything of God, the minute, the minute we're saved, if like, I don't think any of us can just say, oh, well, I, I don't need to do this. That's for somebody else. Because every one of us has a different personality and every one of us can be a catalyst in a different kind of way. So how do you do that? How do you be a catalyst for the kingdom of God in somebody's life? What, what can you do about that? Well, the first thing I think is this. We need to make authentic friends. What do I mean by authentic? Well, two things really. First is this. When I, when I backslid, so when I was um, 17, uh, 18 years old, uh, even though I still believe the same things, I went away from God. So I stopped going to church, so God couldn't tell me what to do. And I left home, so my parents couldn't tell me what to do. So even though they weren't, weren't Christians, they still, you know, I wanted to move away so nobody could tell me what to do. And eventually, after three years, I ended up in this big house. And there were four, I probably told you this before, but there were four apartments. So there was me and a backslidden Christian. Opposite us were three very rich students. Above them, there was a Jehovah's Witness and a hippie. And above us, there were three anarchists and a ferret. All right? And we all had, we all because we all lived in the same house, we all had these kind of like massive arguments about the meaning of life. And the anarchists were militant vegetarians. So what they would do is they would go and stop the city marches. And then they would go to local butcher shops and put glue in the locks so the butcher couldn't get in the next day. And they would spray meat means murder and all this kind of stuff across the windows. And when they'd come back and we'd have all these arguments and discussions about the meaning of life and the purpose of life and all this kind of stuff. And I really learned something because I was always, even though I was backslidden, I was always telling them about Jesus all the time and, and it wasn't having much effect. And, and suddenly something hit me. See, Roman, who was one of the guys who was called Roman, he was this anarchist. Everything he wore, he had a black jacket. He had black, what was called a donkey jacket in England and black Dot Martens. And he would go everywhere and he'd do all these kind of stuff. And he had his girlfriend and, and his girlfriend was called Annie, if I remember. And she had orange hair on Wednesday. On Thursday, it would have been something completely different, you know? And they were complete. So on their, on their house, you didn't really walk into the house because there's punk music. You didn't walk into the house. You open the door, and then the kind of vibrations just carried you in, you know? It was like loud. And there were posters on the wall of Margaret Thatcher with a sausage coming out of an ear and like a gun coming out of a nose. It was that kind of environment, you know? They were. And he was an anarchist, beat the system, don't let anybody tell you what to do. At the same time, he was a postman. He, he got up at 6.30 in the morning, put on his jacket, came out. I used to watch him most afternoons. He'd come back and at 3.30 in the afternoon, he'd come in, sit down. Annie would bring him a tray, take his boots off, give him his slippers. They were like the most domesticated cup I'd ever seen in my entire life. But it was like beat the system, you know. There was no way in a bunch of Sundays he was ever going to convince me about being an anarchist or any of this stuff. But at the same time, there was no way in a bunch of Sundays I was ever going to convince him either. Because my life just wasn't authentic. It wasn't what I said. Now the flip side of that is this, is that sometimes when we make friends and it goes beyond that awkward point where they don't know we're Christian. And then it becomes awkward to tell them. You've been in that situation? You've not told them you're a Christian and then it just becomes awkward. So Jesus, and forgive me for repeating this, but Jesus told his disciples, he didn't use these four words, but he essentially said to his disciples, spread, spread the word, let people know, spot the people of peace, stay with the people who are leaning forward, who are interested, stay with them, and then send them out. So the first part of this, if you like, make authentic friends, is spread. Don't go crazy, but let people know who you are. Let people know what you believe. You don't have to go crazy about it. You don't have to go into tons of detail about it. But let people know what you believe. And there's a lot of debate at the moment in the church. I don't know if you're aware of it. I don't know if you read Christian books. But there's a lot of debate about the whole thing about hell. And is hell real? And is hell eternal? And all these kind of things. Well, I'm quite orthodox in my faith. In other words, I kind of believe, because I've not been convinced of anything different. I believe there is a hell. And as much as I hate to think the, about the idea, because I have loved ones who've died, I believe it's eternal. That's my belief. But here's my question. And somebody put this question to me once, and I'm going to put it to you. What's more evil? The person who's so convinced that God is a God of love, 
they can't believe there's an eternal hell or the person that's convinced by the Bible there is an eternal hell but doesn't do everything they can to rescue people from it that's a rhetorical question we're not going to do a vote or point to people but it's an important question isn't it see the problem is I'm convinced there is a hell uh, and I won't go into all the reasons because that's not all this sermon's about I, I, I might not be doing everything I can but that, that's on my mind it's on my mind so I need to at least let people know I'm here to help them and so do you how many people in your street know who you are so if they needed to find out more they know where to go if someone who's in a crisis if somebody needs to know about God I'm not saying you should be conquering them or forcing your opinion but would they know oh I know there's a Christian in that house now you'd have to do crazy and wacky things to do that sometimes it's just when you're having a conversation with people just dropping things into a conversation but letting people make friends and make them authentically make sure people know who you are you see for some of us this is a little bit difficult I want to talk about that a little bit uh, later about how we actually do that but uh, well, in fact, let me just say this. No, let me say one more thing first. So, for some of us, we have to do something soon about this because uh, it's difficult. For some of you, you've got relationships and friends, I guarantee this right now, and they don't know. They might know you go to church. We're living in Texas, not a big deal, is it? A lot of people go to church. But they might not know that you're attempting to seek first the kingdom of God, following Jesus. They might not know that you're a person who'd love to talk to them about these things. And sometimes we have to just do something, don't we? We have to get over that kind of like that hurdle because some of us like me i'm naturally naturally believe it or not i'm naturally when i was younger naturally quite a shy person didn't like to force my opinions on people you wouldn't think that now would you but i have this passion inside of me that's changed me but what i remember years ago reading a story about an american president and this american president um loved to climb things and uh every every day he would go to school and come back and and every day he'd go to school for years he went past this really exceptionally high wall and every day he would often say to himself one day i'm going to climb that wall but he never did now the other thing about him was he was very very poor and his parents gave him certain clothes and they said to him if you get these dirty or lose them or break them then you're going to be in trouble and they would tan his hide if he lost anything or his, his blazer too dirty or he ripped his trousers he said you better be careful with these things so the last day of going to school when he was getting older leaving to go to a different school he's walking past this wall and he had everything on his trousers and his shoes and his posh jacket and his cap and all these different things and he walks past this wall and thinks one day i'm going to climb that wall and he suddenly realizes this is the last day this is my last chance but I really want to climb that wall how am I going to do it so what he did was genius he took off his cap and he threw it over the wall <laughs> he forced himself didn't he once he'd done that there was no way back he had to climb the wall apparently he climbed the wall he retrieved his cap and got back some of us sometimes we have to throw our cap over the wall we have to make that declaration the first step is to make that statement again you'd have to be crazy you'd have to go around with a big banner okay it work turn or burn all right but we do have to let people know who we are we have to make friends authentically second thing is this it's the first thing i learned i know you think well that's really basic but sometimes we have to do the basic stuff second thing is this Oh, here's some things quickly about uh, just helping people make an authentic friends. Let me just go through. Actually, I'm going to skip this. Do this next week. Actually, sorry. Uh, I'll go on then. I'll do them now. We've got time. Okay. So, think about friendship. Because this is important. If you're going to share your faith, you want to be friends with someone. And some people at your work are hard to make friends with, aren't they? Anybody got somebody at work or in your neighbourhood that's hard to make friends with? I don't mean if it's you. I mean if it's somebody else. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I always pick on Sherry but you know if there's somebody at work that you struggle with or you really find it and here are some things I think that um, it, it's helpful to know that these are what people think so oranges put your hands up give us a wave again oranges okay you can tell us if this is true or not afterwards okay oranges my friends I would like for my friends to solve their own problems <laughs> and move quickly 
Be open to changes and ready to wing it if necessary. I would like for all my friends to know I like working on my own and allow me to make my own decisions. I would like my friends to respect the fact that I will change my direction from time to time and I like keeping a fast pace. I want them to realize I will get actively involved in projects. Okay, is that true oranges? I'm getting the impression it is. Buckle up, baby. Buckle up, baby. Right? Okay, good. Blues. I would like for my friends to respect my concern for the feelings of other people. See, even now in some, inside me wants to abuse this, but I'm really resisting not to. I would like for everyone to get along at work. I like my friends to take the time to talk with me about their ideas and feelings with an expressive manner. I do like it when my friends give me positive feedback pertaining to my work. Well, that's a nightmare if you work with me. <laughs> because I'm not into encouraging people just for the sake of it. If I encourage you, you've done something really good. I do like blah, blah, blah. I would like them to also appreciate my warm, caring attitude towards others. So if you want to win friends, then these are some things you might want to notice about people. Third one. Oh, got co-workers there. Gold. I want my friends to pay attention to details and to be neat and orderly. I would like for them to understand that they should respect the need for rules and regulations. That's true, isn't it, Lynn? Lynn doesn't like it when rules and regulations are broken. I would like for them to make the effort to be on time. I want them to know how important it is that I complete the work that has been given to me. It's life or death. It's life or death. <laughs> okay, Greens. I would like for my friends to be, oh sorry, goals, was that true of you? Yeah, and blues, I skipped you, that's really bad, isn't it? Blues, is that, is that, is that how you feel, blues? Is that good? Okay, good. Okay, greens. I am not winning friends at the moment. Uh, green, okay. I would like for my friends to be curious, observing and ask questions. I would like for them to be open to my needs as I don't express them often and to praise my competence and knowledge. I would like for them, listen up everybody, I would like for them to be original in their request for my help and to pay, it, or pay attention, pay attention to what I tell them the first time so I don't have to say it more than once. <laughs> okay, this, this is helpful stuff. So the point of doing this is to think to ourselves, wow, people are different and where I might see them as bossy, maybe, it's not that they're bossy, maybe they just have a sense of wanting things to be done in a responsible way. If I see them as mushy or flaky, maybe they just care a lot about other people. So I think these are things that are important. If we want to be, if we want to uh, help people, it's helpful to us. Because for me, I wouldn't know this stuff. Unless I read it, I wouldn't know this. I need somebody to point out the blooming obvious, as they say. Okay, tip two. Start from the truth they know. There's a really interesting story in Acts 17. And this is going to be helpful to get a little bit more practical now. So let's say you've got somebody who, who you know, is interested in God. You spread, they know who you are, they know what you stand for. And maybe they, they're in a conversation with you and things turn to God or life or purpose or maybe maybe something that's on the news that has some kind of connection with our faith everything does really doesn't it so so where do you start well there's a great story and you're probably aware of it in Acts 17 and Paul goes to Athens and what Paul does in Athens is as he walks around this place he's thinking to himself I need to share the things of Jesus, the message of Jesus with everybody in this place. But how on earth am I going to do it? Because he's now not with Jews, he's with Gentiles. So he looks around and thinks, because the normal things, he would normally go to a synagogue on the Sabbath. Can't do that. What's he going to do? And he's looking around and he notices there are idols to everything. Now what, if you hadn't learned the lesson from Jesus and the disciples that if they're not against you they're for you if you hadn't have learned that what you might have done was spent an hour stood on a podium somewhere telling them off for worshipping idols you shouldn't have this idol there's only one God blah, 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 blah. 
But what he does is this. He starts from the truth they know. He notices what? He notices there's one idol, and it literally says, to the unknown God. So that's his starting point. I'm going to start from the truth that they know. They realise there's a God they don't know. And if you read the story in Acts 17, that's where he doesn't have a go about them, everything else. What he does is he gets up and he begins to connect with them on that part. Now, can I use, is this your Bible or whose Bible is that? Can I borrow it for one second? This is why I learned in schools many, many years ago. So most of the young people in England don't believe in the Bible. So if I went into a school and uh, here's, here's a Bible. Now, if I went to a school and I had a lesson, I was giving a lesson on wherever it might be, and and uh, that's you know, there was no point really me to base everything I said on the Bible initially. So I could say to him, hey, you know, you shouldn't drink because the Bible says don't get drunk. What? So what? So what if the Bible says it's just an old book? So the theory is, in this place, the theory is, if I convince you that what I'm saying is biblical, you will go away and do it. That's the theory at least, okay? But in schools, that theory goes away. Because this has no authority in people's lives. So what we had to do in schools was build up this authority in areas they could experience the truth of it. So in areas they couldn't experience the truth, they would find it to be true. See, the fact is, if I, and I won't do this to you because it's mean, but if I was to ask you why you think you're going to go to heaven, a lot of you would give me reasons that you think is why you believe that. But in reality, I would probably, you see me afterwards about this, I'd probably pull away at some of those stuff. I'd probably pull it apart. Oh, often what it comes down to, at least with me, is this. Is the reason I believe I'm going to heaven one day because of what Jesus did on the cross is because everywhere in my life I have been able to put the Bible to the test, I found it to be true. When the Bible has warned me not to do stuff and I've not done that stuff, the things it said was going to happen, happened, generally. When the Bible gave me advice or told me to do this and I did that kind of stuff, amazingly, it worked. So in all those areas where I was able to put the Bible to the test, they help me to have faith in some of the stuff I can't put to the test. Like I can't die for five minutes, come back, just to see what it's like, if it's really true. Does that make sense? And so when we're sharing, what I do at least, is what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to connect with people in what they already know to be true and build from there. Because in my mind, I'm a catalyst for that. Does that make sense? That means you've got to listen to people, isn't it? That means you've got to ask questions of people. You've got to care enough to ask questions. Here's some little thoughts on this. Sorry, there we go. Let me just show you this, and you don't, we won't go into this because of time, but you know uh, in fashion they have like what was, what's out and what's in? Do any of you know that? Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's not go down that route. So what's out and what's in? No, already not making friends. What's out? What's it? Let's talk about that for evangelism. Here's some things that might be out in evangelism. Now, I'm going to say this before I show this. This. I don't think these things are irrelevant. I just think there's something more beyond these things. Evangelism is a sales pitch, as conquest, as warfare, as ultimatum, as threat, as proof, as arguments, as entertainment, as show as monologue, as something you have to do. What I mean by that is that the world is changing and as the world changes, this stuff works less and less and less. Now, we still need some of this. We still need to explain there is a threat. There is an ultimatum. We still need to explain, we still need to be able to argue what we're sharing. We have to be able to do that stuff. Well, things that I found that, that really work, and, and this list, I think this next list is true, is this. Oh, it's the same things. <laughs> Sorry, I've written it down. Um, Evan, let me remember some of that stuff then. Evangelism as friendship. Evangelism as a dance. Now, that's a really weird phrase, that, but it makes more sense in England. So in England, some one comedian once said this. I don't know if you ever go to dances or wedding do's and stuff like that. But what usually happens is, in England, is you have a dance floor. Lynn's laughing because you know it's true. You have a dance floor over there, and you'll say, somebody come and dance, and the music will be beating. And as they're walking, 
they start to dance before they even get to the dance floor. I can't dance, okay? But there's that idea of introducing people slowly into evangelism. So for me, evangelism is not about some of these things. It's not about a sales pitch. It's about getting a chance to know people. It's not about presenting answers all the time. Sometimes it's about presenting questions. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. So we start from the truth that they know and see if they bite. So this idea of spread, spot. Who's interested, who's not. So I have to network, I have to share what I do with lots of people. And Paige does lots and lots of different things. We mentor people, we do presentations, uh, we help kids in need, we help schools, we do training, we offer a, a training course worth about $10,000 to people who come on. We have all these different things. And the reason people are interested in Paige are for different reasons. So some people are interested in Paige because, oh wow, we help children in need, that's wonderful. Some people, oh, well, I really like the teaching of pays, and that's why they're interested. Some it's because, wow, you help the community, that's fantastic. What I've learned is this, if I go and meet somebody, let's say I was going to go and uh, uh, meet some Sherry, let's say Sherry is um, just generally interested in pays, and I, what I've learned not to do is this, tell her about everything we do in lots of detail. Well, first we mentor. Let me let me burrow down and tell you all about what we do in mentoring, and then we help schools. Let me tell you about all that. What I do is this: I literally just say, "Oh, we, we do mentoring and and we help schools and we do a bit of this." And then what I wait for is a thing. It always happens at some point. At some point, her her like her, her eyes light up about one particular thing. Oh, tell me more about that. That's learning how to spot what people are interested in. Really basic, but that's what Jesus did. He spread the word. He said, to his, he said to his disciples, go into the town, Luke 10, go into the towns, spread the word of God, and then look who's interested. And at your workplace and in your street, there are people who are interested. And they might not be interested in everything you want to tell them, but, but there'll be something there that God's already doing. There'll be something that God's already getting them to think about. They've already maybe got a complaint. They've already maybe got a doubt. They've already got a dream or a hope. Well, who put that dream in their heart in the first place? What's causing them to doubt? Why do they have a complaint? So our, our job, I think, is not to go there with a big list of things we've got to convince people of. I think we've got to take the time to listen to people and listen to God. And be asking the question, well, what is it that, that God's already doing in you? And just listen for that and look for that and then ask some questions about that. The third part, I think, is this, finally. Is share truth that they can understand. Um, about three or four uh, weeks ago, no, probably a bit longer, maybe two months ago, um, I was with some of the Pays guys in GB and I took them out for the day and we'd gone to the swimming pool and stuff like that and we'd just doing, we'd had quite busy weeks, so we did some social stuff and uh, while I was there, me and Pete were chatting and while we were chatting we met this older guy, he was probably in his, I think he was, he was about 68, 70, something like that, he was about 70 years old and we were chatting to him and he was asking what we did and we didn't go into big details, oh, I just, so I just dropped things into conversation, oh it's nice to be, what are you doing here, I asked him because I know then he's going to ask me what I'm doing here. What are you doing here? Oh, oh listen, why, what are you doing here? Oh, we work for a charity, we work in schools and with churches. And he didn't ask me any question about that, so I didn't push it. And I kept on talking about different things. And the thing that got his interest, it turned out, was young people. Uh, and what was the state of young people and what was happening with young people. So then we started to have a conversation about that. And I'm always listening, well, what's the thing that's really on his mind right now? And then at one point, and I hadn't talked about God or anything, at one point, and I, I thought it sounded a bit cheesy at the time, but I thought it was the right thing to do. one point he said, oh yeah, he said, uh, he said, I'm just waiting now. He says, I'm just really waiting now for that helicopter to come and take me away, which was his analogy for death for some reason. Yeah, for, and I, I, I said, oh, where do you think it'll take you? It was, it was, just, it was just a question. It wasn't, a, it wasn't preaching. Because what I could do was, oh yeah, well you need to think about this and this and this and this. And if you thought about, it was just, oh, where do you think the helicopter will take you? And he, he literally said, it's really weird you should say that because I was just thinking about that yesterday. <laughs> and then he started to talk. And then for about 20 minutes in the shallow end of a pool, that was absolutely freezing, all right? Me and Pete started talking to him about the things of Christ as he was asking questions. 
Now, I live in Texas, so I couldn't go. What I'd like to have done was met with him and then took him to church. We'll talk about that sometime next week, rather than just invite him. But I couldn't, but Pete, Pete could do some stuff because Pete knew a church near where he lived. He didn't live near us. But, but the thing is, rather than being in that pool and saying, oh, Christian, here's my eight points of things I'm trained to say, it's just that time, I think, of just beginning to understand that people are different from us. That what flicks their switch, the reason they'll maybe even follow Jesus may be for a completely different reason from, from why you did. The reason I first started to follow Jesus was dead simple. I was scared stiff of going to hell. Talk about that next week probably a little bit. My main reason for becoming a Christian initially, I didn't want to go to hell. Before I fell in love with God, I was evangelizing because I didn't want other people to go to hell. Then I eventually fell in love with God. And then I realized there's a fourth level, which I'll talk about next week, a fourth level to loving God that I hadn't discovered until a few years ago. So taking time to understand that people are different is not about them and us, is it? God's working in you, God's working in them. I guarantee it. God's working in them. Because God, God's everywhere. His kingdom's everywhere. He's already talking to people. They've already got doubts and questions and hopes and dreams. I think our job, I think, is to be like, remember the story of the Ethiopian? He's reading, I think it's Isaiah, isn't he? He's reading the Bible. And he's asking himself a question, what does this mean? He's coming back from church, if you know the story, essentially. Back and he's thinking, what does this mean? And suddenly, is it Peter? It's Peter, isn't it? Turns up and explains to him, Peter is the catalyst. He's already interested. So what we've got to do is spread the word, let people know who we are. Every so often, see if we can get a conversation going. Don't force it, I would encourage you not to. And if they're leaning forward, it'll be a proper conversation where you ask them questions and they ask you questions. Let me uh, just finish with this little thought. I've shared this kind of thing with you before, but I think all of us, whether we're Christians or not, we're similar in our approach to God to this rope in that we all want answers we all want answers and we ask a question here and we want to get to the answer here as fast as we can what Jesus understood was this he understood that actually somewhere along this he would see little knots and these knots in my mind represent the things that we don't understand that we need to understand for the answer to make sense See, Jesus was less interested in passing on answers and far more interested in passing on understanding. And, and all your role may be, at some point, is to help somebody through questions unlock something they don't understand. Like the disciples, how often should we forgive somebody? Jesus listens to that and thinks, you don't get it yet, do you? You don't get it. I'm not going to give you an answer, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to give you a number because you don't understand that you forgive because you've been forgiven. It's not because you're better than them or anything like that, it's just that you've been forgiven grace. So I would encourage you to have this little idea in your head sometimes when talking to people. You know, some, sometimes, as much as I want to give people answers, I actually hold back. Which is the opposite of how it used to be because I'm thinking I've got to get tell them as many things I can about God. Now I actually hold back because what I'm thinking is, I don't want to give them an answer to that yet. Let me ask them a couple of questions first because I want them to understand something more important than that simple answer. Does that make sense? So I want to just help us think. Ne next week we're going to get even more practical and, and just talk about how we share our faith. But today I just wanted to talk about these three things of our approach to sharing our faith. And the first is we need to make authentic friendships. Havareem were friends who studied together. If we're no good at making friends, people aren't going to want to study about God with us. Secondly, we need to start with the truth they know. Find out what God is already doing in their life. What do they already know to be true? And then thirdly, I think we have to share truth that they understand. In Matthew 22, Jesus is talking to the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe there's life after death. So the Sadducees ask him this question. So if a man marries a woman, and then he marries another woman, and another one, and another one, which one would he be married to? Ha! Answer that one. When he gets to heaven, which one? Which of these five women? Ha! Because they just they didn't believe him. Now what Jesus does, he gives him an answer. What's really interesting about Jesus' answer is this, is there's lots of places in the prophets that he could have pointed to that give a straight answer to that question, but he doesn't. He chooses something from one of the first five books of the Bible, 
there's a little bit less obvious. He has to explain it a bit more. Why? Because the Sadducees only believed the first five books of the Bible were authoritative. Now, if all Jesus was interested in was being right, he could just quote scripture. But he, he had more compassion for people than just wanting to be right. He wanted to really help them and move them along. So let's pray this uh, morning. Let's pray that God will give us that heart, that, that thing that I, I can't give through a sermon, that God will give us that heart. And let's just meditate for a moment. The guys are going to come out and they're going to lead us in, in another song or two. Uh, but for now, just as they, as they be, maybe uh, you can just play something quietly, guys. I want us just to meditate and I want us to begin to, just for a minute, think about what is the one thing this morning we should put on our sticky note. Not something to remember, something to do. Something to do because of something that's been shared, maybe early with Rob, maybe in a conversation you had before you came to church, maybe through the message, maybe through the words of the preach. What one thing could you do? For some of you, maybe you get it's a way of throwing your cap over the wall with your next door neighbour. Some of you, for some of you it might be sharing for the first time what you really believe with people you've been friends for for a long time and I would encourage you this morning just to maybe take a, a minute to write down on your sticky note that one thing or if you've not got a pen make a mental note of it for later I just pray now as we uh, just spend another three or four minutes just worshipping you to remind us, help us, Lord, to think through how to share our faith, Lord. Lord, if there's something helpful in this message, Lord, make it stick. Lord, if there are other things, Lord, that have dropped into our minds, other ideas, other principles that have dropped into our mind, and you've just used this message as a catalyst, then I pray you'll make those things instead stick, we pray. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Guys, let's just stand. We're going to sing uh, one more time together. Whisper is near. Whisper is near. 